Have you ever wished the radio guy would think like you and say things that actually make sense rather than softening his stance to be politically correct? Well then, whitely so. Gil Whiteley will give you the absolute truth. It's Red Shirt Friday. Wear a red shirt on Friday to honor our troops. Presented by the Marine Corps Scholarship Foundation at mcsf.org. It is Red Shirt Friday. R-E-D stands for Remember Everyone Deployed. 303-831-1340. Joining us, a longtime uh, NBA uh, uh, player with an incredible career. Spent his last year here in Denver, uh, Richard Jefferson, who's now doing uh, television. Uh, uh, they have completely different uh, pressures to them. Are you enjoying doing television now, Richard? No, I, I am. There is a, a completely different type of pressure. You have everyone on the world, uh, in the world, whether it's Twitter or Instagram, trying to fact check you, or you know, trying to contradict what you're saying. Uh, so yeah, there's a different type of pressure, but it's fun, man. You get to do what you love, and that's talk the game of basketball. Hopefully, you know, make some people laugh and and teach them a little bit. Uh, I'm in my 35th year doing this uh, uh, here in Denver. I've been a, a, a columnist of. You know, I had television shows and all that. And when I early on, I my big fear was I was going to miss something that everybody else saw, and 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 I'm calling the game and I missed it. You know, and it used to be like a recurring nightmare for me when I was doing color commentary for for different games. I, you know, I did college. That's a nightmare of mine. Currently. I did college football and basketball and and and, and uh, AAA baseball. Uh, that that was a recurring nightmare for me. How about you? Well, you know what? For me, it, it's it is. It's one of those things where it's like the game has been changing so fast, and you know, you see how whether it's Twitter, people going crazy anytime an analyst says something that they don't like. There's you know fans that might not like me from my playing days, so they hate me as an analyst. So you know what. You know, one thing I know is is just like anything in the world, if you prepare yourself, you do all the stuff, you do all your homework, then you do the best that you can. Uh, you know, and you let the chips lie where the, you know, you know, or you let the chips fall where they may, and that's that's just kind of it. But at the end of the day, I'm here to have fun, man. And, and what we do, and we're talking sports. You know, that the, the only the only thing that's better than talking sports is playing sports. So you know, uh, you know, if, if those are your jobs, then then, then God bless us. God yeah, bless I've been 35 years without a job. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite yeah. things about you, Richard, though, like I feel like you have such a great like sense of humor with all of it. Like you're you you have some good clapbacks on Twitter. So <laughs> well, well, I try and have fun, man. Yeah. Because ultimately, and even when you know I I crack jokes at the players or I say something. I still, you know, I've I still played with 75% of the league that's in there right now because yeah. I just retired a couple of years ago. But most of my teammates, most of the coaches that, that I played with, like my personality that you see on Instagram or that you see on Twitter, you know, that's, what, that's who I was in the locker room. That's who I was as an individual. So I didn't get into television and start acting different. Yeah. I didn't all of a sudden, you know, all of a sudden want to, you know, become some media personality and start going at players. I don't ever really go at players. Now, will I crack jokes? I always, I try to tell people anything that I say on social media or I say on television, I would say to the player if he was sitting next to me on the bench, like, that was a terrible shot. Or, yo, like, you 
dude, you were awful tonight. And I would say it in a way that's kind of funny, kind of sarcastic, like make them laugh. Like you don't ever want to like kick somebody when they're down, but at the same point in time, you try and say positive things, but in a funny way. Yeah. I'm sure you're probably following Kelsey, but if you would, I'll be following you. If you follow me, I'd appreciate that. Uh, you should have a patchwork quilt made of all your different jerseys. You've been on eight different teams, and each of those teams have had city jerseys and all these other different kind of jerseys. That'd be a pretty interesting project for someone. Oh, yeah. Yo, that's a ton of jerseys. I, you know, honestly, I could, prob- I could probably cover my whole house if you do all the different jerseys that I've probably played in. But, you know, the, the two that, that, you know, I'm probably most connected with via the fans uh, are – uh, are um, who are the two that I'm probably most connected to? Probably Arizona uh, and Arizona and now Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, no. Arizona and Brooklyn are probably the two that yeah I'm most connected to at this point in time. Yeah, because you spent most of your most of your time in New Jersey, I guess, right? Um, yeah. How do you? So you've played you've played for eight different teams. How do you like? Do you cheer for any of the old teams that you played for? Or, like, did you have a favorite? No, I wouldn't say I, I have a favorite. Uh, obviously, playing for the Brooklyn Nets uh, was, was uh, something that, uh, you know, I played with them for the first six years of my career, and, and I actually still call games for them. So I'm pretty connected to that fan base. And then the Cleveland Cavaliers winning a championship with them, that, that's something that, um, that my fan base, that, that fan base is very connected to me also because, you know, that's pretty much where yeah. I ended my career, and that was just, you know, it's, a, it's approaching the five-year anniversary, which is, is hard to believe of that championship. So, um, ultimately, uh, you know, I, I I had a favorite team. Like, the Lakers were my favorite team growing up. And Never then I played lost for them. them. Yeah, I, but then I, lost I grew up in L.A. I'm a Laker fan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but then I lost to them in the NBA Finals my rookie year, so then it was no longer about oh, I like a team. I pretty much hated yeah. any team that I grew up liking. Sure. Uh, the, two, yeah, I, the two teams that I grew up actually liking were the Lakers and the Suns, and I lost to both of them in the postseason, so that kind of eliminated. But I still root for the Suns. I think it's good because I grew up in Phoenix, so I have a ton of friends that were Suns fans. I grew up watching Charles Barkley and Jeff Hornacek and, and you know Kevin Johnson, Tom Chambers, like all those guys. And that was really one of the golden eras of the Phoenix Suns basketball organization. So, uh, no, I, I, I don't really root for people now. I, I root for good games. I root for long series. And I typically root for health. I want health for players. So then that way you can really see who's winning the battle versus, you know, you've seen so many injuries now. And that those are really what's dictating the series. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, this, this series has been, like, riddled with injuries. And at this point, like, who, who do you think your, is your favorite um, going into the finals? Like, I, I, I guess I was kind of after the Nuggets lost to the Suns. I, I thought they were looking good. And now they've got, you know, Chris Paul's out. But, um, God, yeah, yeah, like, who's your yeah, favorite yeah, right now? It, it, it's tough, right? Because you have so many injuries now. And then you flip it. And even the teams that are injured might be favored, but that's not long term. It's like you take look at the Utah Jazz. You would think that they would be favored, but now they're down three two, and then the Clippers. They're like, oh well, yeah. Even if they do sneak past the Jazz, they won't win the next round because they don't have Kawhi, so they might not be able to do that for a full series. But then if you flip that, the Phoenix Suns don't have Chris Paul. Now go to the Milwaukee Brooklyn series, and you're like, oh well, you know, Brooklyn now is about to go into a game seven situation. They were up three two, but James Harden's playing at probably 50% and no Kyrie. 
so they're really like it is really something that we have no idea. Like I'm, it's hard enough to pick who's going to win when everyone is healthy. Yeah. When you're dealing with this type of stuff in random situations, and the, you know, one of the things I joke about on on you know with social media is that they don't care why. You, you didn't get the pick right. They just want to talk trash to you. So, uh, you know, I, I, I have I have no idea who's going to win. I, I think Brooklyn and Milwaukee is going to be a great game. I think you would probably favor Brooklyn a little bit in this game. But all of a sudden, even more, uh, you look at the Philadelphia the series, and you got Atlanta that's up 3-2 wow. because Philly has blown two leads. So, you know, I, no idea. No idea. No one, if you would have told us we would be right here two weeks ago, a month ago, there is no chance that we would have picked this. So just I think it just, it just makes it more fun. No, it just makes it more fun to kind of watch how it goes down. Just yeah. the last three games in these playoffs, I wouldn't have predicted anything that happened. Atlanta coming back from 85-61 uh, and, and winning that game on the road. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, you know the, uh, the Clippers winning without Kawhi, where they haven't won in Utah in three years. Uh, then And you know, the... And and then uh, Milwaukee knocking off Brooklyn last night. I wouldn't have picked any of those. I, this is the widest open. It's really a shame the Nuggets it, and with the injury to Jamal. I want to talk to you about your Nugget time here with the Nuggets because statistically it probably was your your what you would look at and say, well, he's ending his career. You're a big factor on that team in 2017-18 because. Uh, I you know I obviously covered that and Chris Marlowe's on this show every week and all the, the you know I have lots of I cover the Nuggets every single day every single uh, throughout the year I'm a big Nugget NBA guy uh, you were a locker room guy you you got a lot of credit from the organization and from other players about this young team it's for the Denver Nuggets before there were this Denver Nuggets. You were on there, and you were helping shape guys with your experience and the years that you'd been in the league. And you got a lot of credit from guys and coaches uh, for that. You were a great locker room guy. Well, I, I tried. I, I tried to do that. And, and one thing that you need to understand is that if you're going to have real longevity in any sport or in any career, it's not just about your productivity. It's about how much people enjoy working with you. It's about how much you instill those lessons. Like, I go back... And, you know, really, my t- that me being a, I was always like a locker room guy, but when it became that was a more important role than my statistics on the court, is I play, I had Golden State. So I was, I, my first year in Golden State, they drafted Clay Thompson, then they drafted Harrison Barnes, and then they drafted Draymond Green. And so all of a sudden, you can see this develop. So I, I'm not, I know, you know, Harrison Barnes also. So it's not that. I knew the writing was on the wall. These are going to be the young guys that are playing, so help these guys. Help these guys the same way that people would help you. After that, I get traded to Utah, and then I have I have Gordon Hayward and I have Rudy Gobert, and you're like, okay, well, let me help these guys. And so, and so that, that becomes your role. And so by the time I got to Denver at the end of my career, not, not saying that I had mastered it, but I knew what it was. And I was like, hey, look, you know, if you can help these guys and then I get to Denver and it's Jamal Murray and it's Jokic and it's and it's Beasley, and it's, you know, Monte Morris. And if you're the type of vet that's like, here, let me buy you dinner. Hey, let me give you some little tips. Hey, you know, good job here. Like, hey, what are you doing? Are you doing all the stuff that you need to? If there's any questions, if you do that stuff, 
over multiple teams and multiple years over the course of your career. Like I saw Jamal Murray, and he walked all the way over, and it, 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 it randomly it meant something to me because I, had, you know, it, with COVID and all this stuff, I hadn't, you know, you don't really get to see guys, but. Jamal Murray limps his ACL recovering butt all the way over to the scorer's table and gives me a hug. And it's like, that wow. means something to me because it meant that, like, you know, I just, I, he respected me and he knew that I respected him. And, you know, I saw how hard he worked and I've always tried to encourage him. And, and, and that's really how you kind of pay it forward because there were so many guys that did that for me. And so, you know, it means something to do it for them. And so, and it's been great because now that I'm in the media side, not that necessarily I continue like and talk and have relationships with guys, but like when you speak on these guys, they know it's coming from a place of caring. It's coming from a place of basketball. It's not like I'm just talking about them like, oh yeah, Jamal Murray's a yeah, he's a good player. Or he's got to do this because he would hear me say that to him on the bench. Like Jamal Murray's got to be better. He's got to come out and be more aggressive. And Jamal's like, yeah, well, Richard told me that when I was sitting on the bench and I was 22 years old. I'm not surprised he's saying that on television right now. Well, you know, I I I I, I get back and and do some different things in my interviews. You were leaving Arizona, the University of Arizona, getting ready for your first NBA career. Uh, and you're going to the New Jersey Nets. And then uh, in September of that year, September 11th, uh, the towers come down. And uh, were you working out in New, in New Jersey? Because you could just stand there, look across the Hudson, and see where those towers used to be. Wow, yeah. did that affect you and, in, in your life as you're going into the NBA? Well, it was, it was uh, obviously, you know, the, the impact of the families in that area. And, you know, I, I lived in Tribeca, not not at the time, but like a few years later, I moved to Tribeca. But, yes, I lived right there. And I think it's really when you see that there was 3,000 people that passed away, but those were people in your fan base. So, like, yes, those 3,000 people, but all had families. They had kids. They had all these things. And, you know, uh, random story, Pete Davidson, the famous comedian, you know, every on SNL, yeah. one of the funniest guys out, his father passed away. Uh, his father passed away uh, in, in the in the Twin Towers, and I see him one day at a valet. And I'm a fan. I'm a big fan of comedy. And when I was like, "Hey, Pete, Pete Davidson, man, I've been, I'm a big fan of you," and he goes, "Hey, you might not remember this, but when you were with the Nets, when you were with the Nets, you know they they did this thing for kids who had lost parents." And he's like, "You and Carrie Kittles came up, and you guys spoke. I was one of those kids, and you know I've just been a fan since." And you're like, "I." You had no idea. It's like I'm here being a fan of him, and all of a sudden you realize that that you know we had an interaction when he was a little kid because I was doing something. So when these moments happen, you know, and you look at guys like J.J. Watt when there was the big floods that happened in Houston, and he did so much to try and help the city of Houston. Like when players do that stuff, you're just connected to the community. So 9/11, it just taught me as a rookie how connected you really are to your community, and I just tried to carry that on through the rest of my career. You obviously yeah. got to New Jersey uh, after the draft, so you stood there. I've stood on that side of the New Jersey yeah. and looked, oh, in, looked up to Manhattan, and those, 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 the, those towers sat there, and they, they dominated the skyline. You just couldn't help but see them. What was, yeah. what, and so you had a chance to see them before they came down. Uh, yes. 
What, yeah. it, uh, was there was there a hollow feeling in? in well, it was just it was just it was just you know it was a very unique time, and and I don't mean I don't mean to cut you off, but it, it's it's a uh, it was a very unique time because ultimately what happened is. Um, because it was still smoking and there was so much construction, but like I had just turned 21. And so it's like, you kind of want to drink and party, but that's not the vibe in New York city. And you know, Mm -hmm. other places started to recover quicker than New York did. And so, you know, it was just such a, a feeling of like togetherness and the Yankees go to the world series. And then we went to the NBA finals. And so, you know, when, when we were able to go to the NBA finals that year, like, you know, they say sports takes your mind off things. Well, we were able to give people a feeling of like, hey, this is something positive and it's something to take our minds off things. So, you know, being able to see that and understand how that impacted uh, the, the, the community. Uh, but, yeah, it was very, very difficult to see those things go down and to watch. And we were literally at our practice facility when 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 they hit and then and and then obviously all the stuff that happened afterwards but it was a very very intense moment and we were right there I like when you take ground zero we were right there i had no intention of asking that question when this interview even started but i'm looking at your stat sheet i'm looking at new jersey i'm looking at 2001 and then i'm just picturing you as a rookie having to, to go through and live through that and you some very heartfelt answers i appreciate that and my last question to you is uh, finally, you got you got the golden ticket. You ended up on that Cleveland team that that won a, a very bizarre uh, you know, you know, title. How was that finally for you? You got your ring, and, and and there's nothing like that. I have a lot of Bronco friends that got in the got in the Super Bowl, and they said I I've I've asked them if I could change your AFC Championship ring in a Super Bowl, would you shoot me right now? And they go, yes, hell yes. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I was, a, I was a huge John Elway fan growing up. So I was a huge Bronco fan growing up. So it was like all of those guys, Shannon Sharp, Terrell Davis, uh, just, you know, Steve Atwater. Like those were, you know, just like that whole John Elway era. Uh, so yeah, I would probably shoot you right now to change that AFC championship (laughs) into a Super Bowl. So, uh, yeah, you know what it is? It's that, you know, I was so fortunate and like, I I was blessed, man. And I was always on good teams. I, I, you know, a lot of good players can not be on good teams. I tried to make a lot of decisions based off of going to places that were about the team, going to Arizona. And I played on the national champ. I played in the national championship because that was the only reason why I went to Arizona. So that was my focus. Being fortunate to go to the Nets and all that stuff. But you know, I went to the playoffs. I think twelve times in my seventeen years. Uh, you know, I, I went went to four NBA finals. So it was just like I was constantly on good teams, but I could never get over the hump. So when I was able to finally do that at the end of my career, you know, I went to the finals in my second year, and then not again until my fifteenth year. So it was like when you're able to really get over that hump, it was just such an emotional feeling because it wasn't just about your NBA career. It's really about your basketball life coming to an end and you're achieving their goal right at the end. That is something that you just you, you, you can't put words to it, right? Yeah, walking into a championship as a young player is great, but there's nothing like being a veteran and working your tail off for 15 years and finally achieving that goal. And, That's uh, what it's all about. John Elway <laughs> uh, retired. He was the first quarterback to ever retire after winning a Super Bowl. He retired after winning two, uh, and that was it. Way yeah, at the end he of was his a smart career. Man. Yeah. I tried to retire. I 
I tried to retire. They wouldn't let me. <laughs> and one of the reasons, one of the reasons why I came back though, is because I was like, Hey, part of being a champion is defending your championship. That is an experience that comes, that only comes with being a champion. And so if you never get that feeling of walking into an arena as the defending champion, walking into another, going into another postseason as a defending champion, I truly believe that is as much a part of the experience as the journey to become a champion, right? Trying to defend your title. And I truly believe we would have won another title had uh, Kevin Durant and Golden State not, you know, or Kevin Durant not gone to Golden State and basically made the un the most unbeatable team uh, in NBA history. Yeah, man. Well, hey, congratulations because that's a that's an amazing feat. So you're you're with ESPN now. I know you've got your podcast too, right? Road tripping is that still you're still working with yeah, that? Yeah, road, road tripping, road tripping. We do. Uh, it's on all the It's on all the different. You know, Spotify, Apple Music, all that stuff. You can watch it on YouTube. Follow us on Instagram. Uh, we had great guests. We have a ton of, you know, we've had just so many guys. You know, Braun, D. Wade, Tim Duncan, Bill Walton. Uh, you know, I just so many. Jamal Murray has been on the podcast. Like so many different guys oh, uh, have been on the one. podcast. Uh, and it's really just it. You know, what, what is different than us is that we just really just tell stories. We're not there for clickbait. We're not there for drama. Kelsey. I try to get tell. I told Kelsey that I would come on our radio show, you know, a year ago, and she's just not having me. So we'll 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 ease her into coming on to road tripping whenever whenever she gets back to me in a year. Hey, I hey, I'll, I'll go on road tripping whenever you want, Richard. Okay, this is this is go. my this we're is about my twenty accepting minutes over. <laughs> we're about twenty minutes over my deadline for commercials, so we got to make this and run. Uh, we appreciate uh, thank you guys very much. Uh, you were. Uh, yeah, you gave very thoughtful answers to my interview. I don't. We don't always get that. All right. Well, my pleasure. Thank you guys for having me. And Kels, you're the best. Thanks, Richard. You have Cheers. a good one. Yeah, I know. Have a good <laughs> <day>. <laughs> Just kidding. Mm-hmm.